Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. On today's episode, we have Tony Vassallo. Tony's a man on a nutrition mission. He's the founder of Moda Nutrition, and he has a passion for helping others achieve healthy, sustained weight loss by using his famous mantra, JERF, just eat real food. Tony has an inspiring recovery journey with food addiction. At one point in his life, he experienced a multitude of metabolic issues like type 2 diabetes, hypertension, gout, sleep apnea, and constant joint pain. In 2010, he began his life-changing journey of losing 130 pounds and has successfully maintained his weight loss to this day. Tony went back to school to study nutrition and wellness and spent his time researching obesity, weight loss, nutrition, and food addiction. Using his culinary training, he discovered how to create healthy, satisfying meals that did not leave him feeling deprived. He turned what he thought was his liability, food and eating, into his greatest asset and creates culinary masterpieces that fit his abstinent food plan. Today, Tony has created Moda for Men and facilitates a weekly weight loss support group in Toronto. He conducts personal coaching sessions and designs meal plans for his clients. He's the author of two cookbooks and the executive producer of Follow Me, a documentary exploring the journey of 16 individuals in different spectrums of food addiction who have all successfully sustained their weight loss, some for over 30 years. It's a definite must-see. We'll put the link for it in our show notes. Enjoy today's show. Well, thank you again, Tony, for sitting down to talk with us. This is super exciting. I just want to jump right in. I I literally just got done watching your video um, just as a refresher to rem- and because you had mentioned something we're going to talk about later. So you began your life-changing journey in 2010 and lost about 130 pounds, which you've successfully maintained to this day. You know, can you share your aha moment of when you realized that this was food addiction? And what was it like to know that although it was going to take work, that there was a solution, that there was abstinence? Sure, absolutely. So first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. It's uh, it's an honor. And and uh, actually, um, Vera's played a role into the aha moment, and I'll get uh, get into that. So I'll rewind just a little bit. The executive summary of the weight loss. Um, I was 37 years old and uh, morbidly obese. Whole slew of medical issues: diabetes, blood pressure, sleep apnea, gout, acid reflux. Probably a couple that I only learned years later, probably a couple of years away from an amputation. But I think it's important just to kind of look at the weight loss journey, and then I'll share the aha in the, in the food addiction. So I did approach the journey probably not much different than others um, as a weight loss uh, approach. I mean, the adage um, in, tw- in the 12-step community started about vanity, became about sanity. That definitely is me. So during the weight loss, my approach was I mean, it's kind of common sense. I want to lose weight. There's no point eating the junk food, the processed food. As I went through the journey, obviously, I, I learned more about, you know, 
processed food and some of the foods that I thought were healthy. But my um, my approach was weight loss. The one-liner that I used then, I've changed it a bit, bit now, but eat crap, stay fat. You don't want to be fat. Don't eat crap. That that was like just tattooed, ingrained in me. Stay away from that. So that was what drove me to stay away from that stuff. Um, so after I lost my weight, I'd say a year, somewhere between one to two years, probably right in between 18 months of sustaining. So a couple of years into the journey, I stayed away from this food. There wasn't any interest. Uh, Again, I didn't approach it from a food addiction. I wasn't against it. Just approach, stay away from it. The notion of food addiction was introduced to me. I didn't out and out shoot it down. Uh, At the same time, I didn't totally embrace it. So to get to the cusp and uh, of the question, the aha moment of food addiction. So here I am, again, I don't have the exact timeline, but I'm probably two and a half years into the the total journey, a, a year and change maintaining. And I'm at a buffet. I think it was the first time out as a buffet. Not really sure. Uh, with some people, there was a lot of stuff that happened that week. We'll leave that. Uh, not good stuff. And um, had my meal, which is what I typically do, have just some vegetables to start. And then my then I would have had some protein and some more vegetables. And then I'm going back. And, you know, I haven't had dessert in a while. I deserve a dessert. And I think I started off with something light. Let's say some chocolate strawberries, like went to the table. I, I think I got a few looks from people. That's not usually Tony. And so this is this is the this is sugar entering my my body for the first time in two and a half years. There might have been the odd time it was in a dressing or something, but the first concentrated sugar. And I'm not gonna say right there, then and now it was ding ding ding, but there was hmm. and it was just you, you want to go back. And then this is where this is where it is pretty clear. The Nanaimo bars were just calling my name in every single way. And I was too embarrassed to go back to the table because now it's the second dessert. I haven't had dessert. And it's like, let me just move off to the side here, you know, so keep mine on the buffet. And I had one Nanaimo bar and I wanted another and, and another. And I just kept going back and back and back. And I'm just doing this with Nanaimo bars. I I, I never did count them, but there was dozens. And, I, and the only reason I stopped is because there was no more there. And then it was everything. And here I am. And I guess somebody saw me out of the corner of their eye. And I'm just doing this. So to the aha moment, I vividly recall remembering stop. Like, stop. It was like the arm. I was kind of almost doing like a bit cartoonish. Starting, stop, Tony, stop. Um, so that's when it became apparent to me, this this is something not right. It, and um, if, thinking back, because it, it, it is a, a moment that's hard to forget. It's like something overtook me. And just to to bring in the this the serendipity here um, with Vera, so this would have been around the same time, and I actually have it here because uh, her original book. I don't know if you remember, but her the um, when that, when the Toronto Star article came out, then this this is the first time I remember uh, coming across this. I, I put it aside. And I remember I, um, still having it, and then saying, "Okay, maybe I should order the book," and and. The, the, there's lots of obviously uh, tremendous information in the book, but the part in the book where she talks about a creature, I, I remember reading it and saying, that's what that experience felt like, I, like I was over, overtaken. So just to su- uh, summarize, and we'll move on that particular day, that, that feeling. And I was driving home. It was the Don Valley Parkway. It's a local highway here in the GTA. Uh, remember I can, I don't even know how much Nanaimo bars and sugar. I, I had to pull over. I was just, I couldn't drive. It was like I really felt drunk, so I pulled over. Uh, the person I was with decided to, to drive, which was best. I wasn't feeling well. But what was interesting is for the entire several days after is this desire for sweetness. And keep in mind, I just gone two and a half years. I'm not going to say with no cravings, but 
very little, if any. And now all of a sudden, it's just, it's it's in every ear. So again, long story short, out of nowhere, after consuming these Naima bars and everything else, sugar, 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 or confections. Anyways, that's the executive summary. <laughs> the aha moment that happened. So for me, it was well after I lost my weight and then really starting to do some research and, and understand what's happening in the background. Yeah, no, and it, I think it's so important to highlight that, you know, you were able to do this for a while until you weren't anymore. And now with that knowledge of it being addiction and it being a disease, you know that you have no choice but to abstain from that. So even when that thought comes up for us, we know, okay, no matter what, that's still not an option. So what am I going to do instead? And now you actually work with men, helping them with their food addiction. And you just launched a new website called Moda for Men. And we know that men in our society are struggling every day with eating disorders and food addiction, and it's rarely talked about. And we may even have somebody listening to the show today. So what is some of the unique challenges that you've had working with these men in dealing with facing their food addiction? And how do you help these men recover? Yeah. So in terms of the challenges, first, I guess it's one thing that that breaks into to three subcategories. And- it comes down to the old adage of the, the male ego. Um, so if I'm breaking that down into three subcomponents, first we have admitting that there's an issue, whether it's with weight, whether it's with health, and that there's a problem. So that's the first thing is admitting there's a problem. I mean, you know, guys are notorious for, you know, not going to the doctor. I mean, you know, sometimes I ask, uh, you know, are there any health issues? And None. And then uh, have you seen a doctor? Uh, probably been about 10 years, right? Oh, okay. So that's the first issue is admitting there's an issue. And then the next subcategory there I'd put in is the asking for help. I mean, the old adage of asking for directions, I'm guilty as charged. Um, so that's the next, asking for help. And then that third subcategory would be then the follow through. So whether it's helping them. And what I'll just say there, what I've noticed, and you know, I'm guilty of this too in, in, in my life and probably in the early days too, is you know, you'll, you'll put together a plan. Now let's admit, when it comes to dealing with this, um, with food addiction versus alcoholism, you know, alcohol is fairly black and white. It's not you can have wine and beer with food. There is you know, your triggers may not be mine. So granted, there's um, not everyone's plan is going to be the same. But on that third and final subcategory is, I've noticed, this, I, I want to do this, but somehow or other, I, I want to find a way to hold on to whatever it is. And again, that's that, that whole, I feel it's the ego and wanting to hold on. So that's the challenges. And I find it's more so with males than with females. My experience, uh, again, predominantly working with males is, uh, uh, females will t- will reach out and ask for. They'll admit there's an issue. Uh, males, not so much. Sorry, the second part of the question is where, uh, what was it? Where to start? How do you help them recover? Yeah. So the big thing is, I mean, um, it's our first pillar: surrender, acceptance. I'm really trying to get a gauge of where they are. Are they in a full surrender and acceptance, uh, or still drastically resisting? So if they're if they're like there, Tony, tell me what I got to do. And then we're, we're, I'm ready to go all in right there. And then if there's a great deal of resistance, it's trying to hold on to them just so they stay connected. And then quite frankly, it might be more of a harm reduction approach at that stage. Let's look at the the worst. So really it comes to the state, state of surrender, state of acceptance, um, however you want to, uh, want to put it. I really don't want to lose somebody because the concern is if, if they, if they shut it down, I think there's some science to back this up. I, I think, 
like for example, if somebody leaves a program, I think it's somewhere between two to five years before they even entertain it again. And one thing I've really tried to do at Moda is I want the doors to be open to everybody, regardless of where they are. So, so that's how I'd answer that. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, knowing that especially, and I have a long history of working with men too, just with other substances Mm -hmm. and other outlets for this disease. Um, And I would say that I experienced a lot of the same, right? Like first and foremost, like, is there even a a problem? And and a lot of that I think is just cultural and societal and, Mm -hmm. you know, men are stoic and they're problem solvers and, and they're the protectors and all these things. So if I have a problem as a man, am I those things for sure? So that really then, you know, it, it makes us wonder, you know, we were, we've read, or it's been said that men have given away their power, you know, as a quote, men have given away their power, their personal power to food or whatever outlet, right? And they have done so because they feel they're lacking in power in some other area of life, you know, and I guess we're just interested to hear your thoughts on that. And and does that kind of fall into what you're finding? Yeah. Um, so we did talk about it a bit briefly before we got started. And I really think it's an, an, an extremely intriguing uh, question. It's one I actually, I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, throwing to the group. So as I heard it for the first time, I mean, it was like, I really, um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's certainly, the more I, you know, we talked about it before, the more I felt open, it's certainly a possibility. I don't know if it's black and white all the time. Uh, so I, I certainly think it's a possibility. Okay, I, I can't have this, so I, I, I'm going to take this. Uh, is something that stands out. You know, the other thing that came from that may or may not be related Um and it was, um, I read, I uh, forget the fellow's name. He was the one of the lead medical officers at the Betty Ford Clinic. And um, he, um, and one of the differences between, between men and women was kind of the, um, I think he used the word high achievers, entertainers, um, surgeons, like people who are, are even lawyers, high profile lawyers, who are always kind of at, uh, working on a high um, adrenaline rush. And the lack of surrender. I mean, let's admit it. In most in most aspects of life, surrender, acceptance, giving up, if you will, is, is considered a negative, right? But in our journey, it's it's a it's a total one eighty. I, I I can't see anyone being successful without that willingness to just say okay. And 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 the analogy in in the twelve step community, it's a beautiful, lovely one, is not stepping in the ring. I mean, um, whether you use the gorilla or the tiger or whatever you want, you just know you you, you don't stand a chance. And I, I really think with, I mean, I'm not an addiction expect, expert across the board, but it's just if I know I'm going to get my head kicked in every time I step into the ring, you know, why are you going to do it. So just to finalize on this is, is I think that's, um, and it kind of along with the, f- the first question is the, I guess here, not with the lack of s- surrender, but just thinking that surrender is a bad, uh, a bad thing. Yeah. So it almost stands to reason, right? It's like, so instead of, it's almost like they've surrendered, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm failing in this relationship or maybe I'm not doing so well at work, but by golly, I'm not going to fail at the food or whatever. Right. And it's almost like they cling to this last thing, whether it be the food or the alcohol or whatever outlet it is. And that makes, that just makes so much sense the way you, you answered that. Thank you. Yeah. Well then just, uh, yeah, that's uh, as you're talking about, that's the you really got me thinking. I'm always looking for <laughs> ideas. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm not going to give up the, the right. give up food. David, I'm not going to. Uh, yeah, um, actually, it's making more and more sense as we um, 
as we talk have. it out. Yeah, no, yeah. it's so true. And it, and when you were talking, it sparked for me, you know, those high performers when what I have found, you know, I've worked with a lot of people in addiction and those high performers that they really struggle with self-esteem. And so when you take away their job and their role, mm -hmm. there's not much left for them, which is yeah. why no matter what, they will keep going until maybe they get fired or yeah. until it's not an option to work or be that person anymore. Mm -hmm. So no, thanks for that. Because that was that really lit stuff up for me as well. <laughs> and I'm sure for the <laughs> listeners, I uh, <laughs> good stuff. So you recently put out a film called Follow Me, and anyone who hasn't seen it, you need to go see it or need to watch it online on v Vimo. I think it is uh, available. Yeah, they, I think that's how you enunciate it. It's on. Uh, best way to find it is follow me followmefilm.ca followmefilm.ca. That's the website, and there's a link to it online. Awesome. And so it is, if you're just starting this journey and you need some hope and inspiration, this is the movie that's going to do it for you. And interestingly enough, what, what Tony was sharing with us is when he put it out, there was some resistance that was met in both the film industry and uh, the platforms and the documentary festivals. So can you tell us a, a little bit about what the movie's about and the resistance that you met in the outside world? Yeah, uh, really looking forward to that part. So just the executive summary of the film. Uh, so again, it's called Follow Me. And it features, so the film itself is comes under the category of weight loss. And uh, how the idea came about is I actually had a, a client that said, you know, what, I, I, let's go out, find a whole whack of people. We didn't have a number in mind uh, who have lost weight for a significant amount of time. The, the actual criteria was a minimum of five years um, or more and who have sustained it. And we wanted to get outside of my circles. And like, so of the 16 people, there's two that I knew and, and the rest who I actually know quite well now, but at the time I didn't. So we wanted to follow, the, um, follow their journeys and learn. Um, and we really wanted to focus on, on the after, if you will, in terms of the maintenance. So the criteria again is we've lost a minimum of 50 pounds uh, for at least five years. And we had several, three decades um, and a handful of which are, 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 are part of our circles. And clearly what came out of it, I, I had a feeling there was going to be a, an um a fair amount of weight, if you will, for another word, on 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 the food addiction. Not as much as I, much more than I anticipated. So there's about 16 people. Uh, 12 would would classify as uh, some somewhere in the in the spectrum of food addiction. Four would definitely classify as moderated. So we as we can see, a high percentage. And um, listen, it it was it was a ball putting it together. I mean. Being involved in a documentary for me was always on my bucket list. Never thought in a million years I'd actually go out and, and uh, produce one. So it was um, a very fulfilling journey for me personally and professionally. And anybody in the early stages or at any stage of this journey, I encourage you to take it in. It provides a message of hope uh, throughout. So that's the film. Uh, take it in to, 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 to learn more. What's interesting, and, and um, you know, I've talked to Vera offline a little bit, and I'm really, really looking forward to discussing it on a on a platform where others can hear. Was the after in terms of getting the word out there? So once the film was done, uh, we premiered it at Hot Docs in Toronto, November 2018, and then the work was okay. We got to get it out to more people. So we broke it down into two subcategories. Um, uh, Nick, the producer, uh, it was okay. He was the tech guy. You try to get on other platforms, uh, Netflix, uh, Apple TV, yada, yada, and a bunch of other smaller ones. 
And then it was my responsibility to go knock on film festivals, knock on their door and say, hey, we got this documentary. Uh, would you like to see it? So it, it did. It We were able to get it in the Windsor International Film Festival uh, a couple of weeks after Hot Dogs. Um, had a bit of an inside thing there. So I think that helped. <laughs> but thoroughly enjoyed the experience. But now it's knocking on strangers' doors, right? And and I was expecting resistance, not the, the amount I was. So the takeaway from the outside world, if I could use that analogy, was uh, this ain't sexy. We're not going to sell any tickets. Quite frankly, that one didn't surprise me. It is what it is. What did hit me in the gut, and maybe, you know, because you're, you're part of the journey, it's, it's hard not to take this personally, but was, listen, this this emphasis on food addiction, uh, it, it's a bit over the top. I'm paraphrasing a bit. I mean, you know, people uh, worded it a bit more diplomatically with the exception of one. It's a bit over the top. I mean, you know, what is it with these people? They can't stop. Um, so the takeaway was people sometimes feel it's it's an on and off switch. And just to focus on the addiction, which is really, you know, our purpose of the podcast here is, I think unless you've experienced it, whether it's food addiction or other addiction, it's really hard to, hard or difficult to grasp what other people are going through. And I think that's why sometimes with alcoholism, they kind of understand, uh, even if there isn't a transfer addiction, it's easier for them to understand. Or perhaps like in my own relationships, if I'm with somebody who hasn't had much exposure to addiction or hasn't experienced himself, they don't get it. Whereas if you you've experienced this personally, you get it. Um, and and uh, there was a, a lot of, a fair amount of resistance uh, get, getting it out there. Which is so interesting because, I mean, we we recently caught Vinnie Tortorich's Fat too. We've mm-hmm. watched Fat, a documentary, and then we just caught Fat too. And I mean, they are all in out, right? They are going after government. They are going after media. They are going after big food. And you know, right, and, and Amazon Video or whatever picks them up or Apple or whatever it was. But it's so interesting because your video or your movie is so lovely. And I thought you did, you guys did a really great job of nobody blamed anybody and nobody like said anything specific about any like specific product or any specific company or, or any of those things, right? Everybody was just kind of telling their story and they were saying, you know, I just have to stay away from these things. And and this is how I eat. Here are the things I eat now. And this is how I prepare my food and I love my meals and that kind of thing. So it's just, it's just really interesting having watched that movie and, and not, not feeling like it was controversial. And then to hear you say, listen, there was pushback because people are like, this isn't sexy. And why are we going to do that? And to know it came out, you said November, 2019. Yeah. That's when we hot dogs. Right. And then, so here, then a few months later, we are all in lockdown because of COVID. And it's just like, it's blowing my mind that here, this is a video that could have been helpful all along. And not that it isn't and not that Mm -hmm. it still can't be right. But that these other platforms were unwilling to take a look at it. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, I, I get the sales part. I mean, you know, uh, you know, whether it's a theater or or putting it online, it's it's what do you think is going to sell the most? Uh, that part I didn't struggle too much with. It was the, the this really isn't uh, it, it's I guess. Oh, again, executive, if I paraphrasing everything, because there was a lot of doors I knocked on was it, it's a bit over the top. Which is so, that's, just, well, that's, and that's not that's, at all how we would describe it. I mean, it's well, yeah, interesting, that's, right? Yeah. And, I mean, and, and I've yeah. taken in several of your podcasts so far and yeah. they're all phenomenal. And I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the the core message is, and, and that's one of the things, I mean, sometimes, you know, working with someone uh, one-on-one, it, there is this notion, is, is there something wrong with me? And then mm-hmm. when we realize, you know, we're not alone and another, you know, common uh, one-liner, then, 
then it get, does give us a message of hope. And I, I really wanted to to make sure that the documentary was a message of hope. Quite frankly, I, I, I you know, it's not, there was some before and afters. Um, I, I really am a fan of trying to curb that back versus mm-hmm. the traditional before and afters all over. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a fine line uh, there because I think there's an element of it. And that was also another criticism. Like there, there should be more like plaster pictures all over the place. And I know it's, it's, it's about the people and the stories. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, then talking about the movie and and watching your story kind of, you know, go in it, you talk about how you were in IT for years. And then this really kind of sparked this whole, right, like what you're doing Mm -hmm. now, you know, and, and so you studied nutrition and wellness at George Brown College. And so what are your thoughts on the curriculum? Did you notice that there was messaging there that conflicted with the new knowledge of food after the research you had done and the personal life experiences you had been living and still are living? Like, what has that been like? Yeah, I'm so happy you're asking me this question, because I got to admit, I mean, maybe not uh, I think it was six courses over two semesters, probably on the first semester, but somewhere along the line, I'm saying to myself, kind of scratched my head and said, if I didn't know what I know, I mean, I was still a bit of a newbie then. I'm still, I mean, I, I'd consider myself self-taught. I mean, in those days, it was mainly following the, the Mark Bittmans, the Michael Polans, and a handful of, uh, uh, of others, which is why I'm so promoting on Jerf. But I mean, the model, um, especially when it came to the, um, I mean, the fundamentals of, I mean, some of the nutrition stuff is fundamental, the macros and the micronutrients and, and all that, that's just textbook. But when it came to, I mean, it is, it definitely was more of a calories in, calories out model. I'm a little bit leery to say all calories are equal. I mean, there's that, but, you know, putting putting a traditional cereal with a, you know, a steel cut out, for example. So again, it, it, it is I, I, it's more, again, it is a much more just restrict and, and move, um, eat less, exercise more for the most part. I will say I had one instructor that did go rogue. I mean, not literally, but was kind of more of a jerf, uh, just eat real food or promoting whole foods, kind of went away from the curriculum. And ironically, I mean, he actually got some flack for that. Um so there was that. Now, and you know, in those days, we would have the original Canada's Food Guide, and we were working off that. I am hopeful now. I mean, listen, I do got to give credit, uh, while it may not be perfect, but I do think the the current Canada's uh, Canada's Food Guide is is night and day uh, to the previous one, and uh, and um, and grateful for that. So, I mean, whether it's that way now, but to the point, it it, it is it is disconcerting. Uh, you know, obviously the concept of food addiction wouldn't even be any on anybody's radar. It's so interesting. You mentioned Mark Bittman. I was showing oh, Molly. You got it. Ah, yes. <laughs> mine, I just got a notification. I'm, I'm getting it next couple of days. For anyone who's listening, it's Mark Bittman, Animal Vegetable Junk. And it's a history of food from sustainable to suicidal. And he's just a great author and writer yeah. about this exact topic of uh, just eat real food. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and this is what you do. Moda is all about making healthy food cool. And what what a concept. <laughs> a novel concept, I say. <laughs> I hey, you're about changing calories, not counting calories, which sounds fantastic. But if I'm starting to work with you and I have no culinary skills and I actually don't think I like cooking mostly because I'm intimidated by the kitchen and I I just don't know what to do in there other than microwave. How do you start me on this journey? Yeah, so great point. Uh, so first of all, you're probably getting the feeling I'm a big uh, 
fan of buckets or caddy. It might be my project management background, but so I, I really find, so anecdotally, my experience has been, and I felt this from my early days from helping men. There've been two, two sides to this. There, there are people who just love being in the kitchen and then uh, others just to test it. And then, I mean, there is a, there is a spectrum in between too. Just generally, and I love to throw this out there, uh, reach out to me, let me know if this is the case. So maybe I'm out in left field, but I personally feel the creative types, um, forgive me, I always mix up the left and right brain, which is the, what's creative left or right? Do you remember? I think it's the right brain is creative. Okay. So let's yeah. say the creative <laughs> brains, they love cooking. They, they, you know, that's the, the artistics uh, in us and uh, they, they, and there's very little resistance on that side. Then the more analytical types, if I can use that, it's a little more, all right, it's not. So where I usually go with that is, and again, this is the, the, the beauty of doing an assessment and evaluation. Those that with, with the little experience or intimidated, if you can use that word, Let, let's try to keep this as simple as possible. So in a group setting, I got to admit, this is where it's challenging because we got all kinds in there, right? It's those like, I want more ideas, more creativity. And then I got the others just want to simplify. And once I just a quick story, I love telling stories. But when I first had this aha moment, the left brain, right brain, I, I did a workshop and this is, I said, and I threw the idea out and I saw a little bit. So I split the group into three the left brain, right brain, and in the in-betweeners. And, and I threw, uh, the question I threw out was little steps. Uh, what are the little things that made a difference? And um, so it, it, it did, uh, strike, uh, did strike me that the, the, the right brain and left brain go about this differently, especially on the culinary side. But to get to the point, so those that are resistant, it, it's okay, let's find some simple ways. And, and what usually works for them, let's find one breakfast, maybe two, one lunch, maybe two. And then dinners, I find two or three. And, and, and let's just hone it and work it until you got it down packed. Let's keep it as simple as, as possible. So again, it's really, uh, and this is why I think it's really important to, to, to do the one-on-ones, uh, um, have a discussion from them. It is a challenge in a group environment, but there's no reason why we can't do one-on-ones. And then, and then you know, just kind of guide them uh, to them. But, but I will say, you know, cooking in general, I, I think it's a key skill that we got to have. I think it's one of the things that we've lost over the last couple of generations, you know, where you see your, your parents, your grandparents cooking, and then it, it gets instilled uh, with you. I mean, one of the things, if you, um, if you think about Robert Lustig's four C's, uh, cope, connect, contribute, and the fourth one, cook, it is key. It's, it's, it's something that... Uh, uh, I feel that we should all do. And I mean, even Michael Moss in his book, Salt, Sugar, Fat, he talks about, I mean, he, you know, the, what he throws out there is no accident that home ec got pulled out whenever it did so that, you know, we become more hooked on, on processed food. So go out there and, and, and cook. Yeah, that's crazy because I, I took home ec in high school and we didn't cook once we did, we like made a quilt and I think we learned how to balance a checkbook and <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just interesting. And we had, you know, several vending machines throughout the high school, you know, all those things. And now these days, you know, in the town that I live now, like the vending machines are gone, the soda has gone, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So hopefully, and I don't know, because I don't have a high schooler yet, but hopefully, right, mm -hmm. they're bringing back some of those things, because I think it has contributed then to like more takeouts and that kind of thing, which leads me to wonder, because I am a parent of young children and Clarissa and I certainly get this question all the time, right? Is that a lot of the people we do work with are busy parents who are just trying to take back their health through their food. And so what suggestions would you have for them in terms of being able to look at their own abstinent food preparation, 
do that, make meals for the whole family when it comes to like, we're running for soccer here and swim lessons there. Right. And, and how do we do that and not create like contribute to that diet mentality, contribute to the restrict and binge and, you know, just poor body image and and all that kind of junk that goes along with that culture. Yeah. So let's look at the first part first, and it's probably much easier than, than the second, uh, the second part to address. Yeah. We definitely live some, some, some hectic lives, a, a hectic schedule, but the one thing I see, I mean, you know, there's the old one liner. Uh, if you want to get something done, uh, give it to a busy person. I got to admit, I sometimes look at my own personal life and I mean, when I lost my weight, I was, uh, you know, I was commuting. I was going to, I was going to school. I was studying project management. I was getting a cert. And I look back, it's like, how did I do it? So on that, so I, the, the big thing with, with the hectic schedules is, is the batch cooking, meal planning, the prepping, yada, yada. I know we've heard it a million times, but, you know, failing to plan. Oh, we got all kind of one-liners here. Listen, today. our listeners need to hear it from another voice. They need to hear it from a voice that is not ours. So please repeat away. <laughs> <laughs> but so to help from a time management point of view, because that's really the gist of the first part of the question is, is, is batch cooking. Um, I also think it goes to the first part is enjoying the process. Batch cooking. It's one of the things I really feel is my forte at mode and I, is, is giving ideas out. And listen, I give out a bunch of ideas and, you know, maybe they might not all stick or they might not appeal uh, to yourself or members, but my, my logic behind giving several ideas is that something's going to stick and you work for, it. I mean, this week, we usually sometimes do a quick culinary segment. I, I gave an idea of, of shrimp, frozen shrimp. I mean, you know what? Don't overlook it. You, you take it out of the freezer. I boil it. And then I just cast iron grill it. And I can, I saw people say, I never, never, never given any thought of that. So getting an idea is batch cooking, uh, building up your repertoire. So, I mean, that's the thing. So that's addresses the time management piece. Easier said than done, I realize, but I will say it comes down to kind of typical project management and, and batch cooking. The second part, and um, I, I definitely do think it's a, a challenge because we don't, at least I firmly believe the last thing we want to do is create a dying mentality uh, with our youngins. I mean, actually with anybody, but we certainly don't want to instill it, um, you know, whether it's the teenage years or the early years. So one thing I think with kids is, is and, and I'm seeing it, it's working, is empowering them, even at earlier stages. Uh, I'm a big fan of documentaries. There are a lot of ones that are well done that are conducive towards uh, educating kids without being too, uh, too in your face. So empowering kids. And one of the things I hear from members um, with the younger and even the teenage kids, but how, how empowered they actually get daddy, you know, or mommy, you know, maybe that's, I mean, actually, so the one liner I, I will get from, from members who have kids is would Tony approve that? These are kids that don't even know me. You know, would Tony approve of that? And they're like, you know what? You're right. So on the kids, it's really empowering them uh, through education. And I got to admit, even as a single guy without kids, uh, it is mind-blowing from what I hear. Um, we've even had a couple of workshops who their children came in. And in this case, it would be um, uh, maybe not late, um, early 20s. And one was actually a medical student who said, you know what? I learned more from my parents about nutrition than I did in school indirectly through MODA. But again, I guess the, the cusp, and, and I'm, I don't think I'm seeing anything we haven't talked about when it comes to kids, is empowering them with knowledge. And I, I think we'll be really surprised. And, and, and they'll be uh, there in our corner. No, definitely. And I think that's like so true when you were speaking earlier about the first part. It's, you know, we as busy parents, it's hard to make ourselves and our abstinence the priority. And 
like in order to do that, we do need to make time and schedule time to Mm -hmm. do the batch cooking. And I think we have this impression and idea because maybe we were brought up not to love cooking, but that doesn't mean our kids can't really Mm -hmm. enjoy it and have fun with it. And, you know, the kitchen is not a dangerous place with like knives and hot stoves. Cause Mm -hmm. I remember that was the messaging at one point, but it it can also be dance party. It can Mm -hmm. be like, let's make a great meal together. And like you spoke about like that connection as well. But I, I think the root of it is that we just need to make our abstinence a priority and therefore food prep i see you want to say yeah no well something and i guess um i i think um around in the 80s i mean we you you mentioned the word we were actually marketed i prefer to use the word brainwashed that cooking's a bad thing and you don't got time for this come on yeah doing we we were brainwashed sold a bill of goods this is a waste of time it's unproductive time don't do it so i do think there's a a generation or two where we were brainwashed into this and it's ingrained in us. Whereas I, I will say I'm starting to see with, with, um, uh, with younger, um, uh, younger ones that uh, they're not necessarily buying that. Yeah. So, you know, folks, and, and, you know, give some thought to it. Were you brainwashed? Cause uh, okay. Those that know me, anyone listening to this, know me, know my disdain. <laughs> and th- there isn't another, a word out there stronger, stronger than disdain towards the food industry. I mean, at, here at Moda, we call them those bastards. So we have a little thing that anytime you hear the word food industry, and I know there's someone out there in the radio right now or, or on listening to the podcast, screaming out those bastards. We have some healthy fun with it, but, um, but you know, there, but on the serious side there, there was, you know, some hardcore marketing going on to um uh, to brainwash us and and to sell their goods. Yeah. Ab- absolutely and I think a part of that too and part of what this question I think gets at or we maybe haven't quite touched on is that you know for me my little you know my oldest will say mom do you eat that thing because it's healthy right and so she wants to really categorize healthy not healthy and then she starts to view some of the things that she's eating as not healthy and I certainly don't want to set up like that stigma either right so it's like no I eat this thing because it makes my body feel good I don't eat that thing because it makes my body hurt or it gives me headaches or whatever right because that mark but that marketing that brainwashing like you said like it did they just did such a great job of like, oh, look at this beautiful, shiny wrapper. You can rip it open and have a meal in 10 minutes, pop it in your microwave or whatever. And not realizing that if I do that thing, right. Or if my children do it and it's fine for them, like, I don't want them to think that's not healthy. I I don't really want to get caught up in these binary, like Mm. just like these silos. Right. And so, no, I mean, I think that this is a really great conversation. Yeah. Go ahead, Clarissa. I know you you have a question. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was just going to point to the fact that you do these pillars of moda. And in that, you start to make people the priority again. So in a world that tells us it's wrong to be selfish, how do we implement these pillars into our lives? Yeah, so um, we have the nine pillars, and then um, and then we have our moda mantra. So the pillars, just executive summary, it, it's nine pillars. Uh, they're the foundation. I'll rhyme them off quickly. First one is surrender, uh, unconditionally yield to change. Your second one is belief, belief in a better me. Third is be fearless. Uh, there's a little bit of Rocky in there, uh, story behind that, but I have the strength to persevere. Honesty, I'm honest to myself regarding my food intake and quantities. Uh, fifth pillar is mindset. I have a healthy relationship with food. Sixth pillar is accepting setbacks because we all know there's no such thing as uh, perfection. This journey is not a linear line. I have only positive self-talk, so my past will not hold me back to my future. Uh, number seven, setting boundaries, living in an environment of people, 
places and structure that support my lifestyle. And it's not only food boundaries, it's people, places and, and structure. Um, I'm more on that, but and our eighth pillar, um, constant growth, the journey will provide me with continuous wisdom and personal growth. It's not just about it. As much as I promote education on food, uh, firm believer that we discover a new person at, at, at the end or throughout the journey. So constant growth. And our ninth and final pillar, uh, awareness, the complacency can lead me back to a place I never want to be. And I, I look at nine as just being aware of the complacency or unsurrendering. So that's our nine uh, pillars. That's the framework that we use at Moda to keep us grounded. We do workshops in each and every one of them. And then the the other part is the Moda mantra. Our final sentence, so our mantra is, I care about my health and wellness. I eat real food and controlled portions at proper intervals. I am the priority. We say that at the beginning and every at the beginning at the end of every workshop. So that last sentence, "I am a priority." And we actually have something called the "I am a priority" flag that we we hang at, at our workshop, and I, I think we all realize it sounds selfish. I am, and I actually even capitalize it. But if we're not looking, I mean, again, all right. So you, you gave me permission to repeat ourselves. If we're not looking after ourselves, I mean, we can't look after others. Um, and the analogy that's used, and this is quite ironic, is the, the the face mask, the emergency procedure in the aircraft. Put on yours. And actually, this week I actually learned the science behind it. So there's only a 30 second window that we have. So if we're ever find, heaven forbid, find ourselves in that uh, position where the air masks um, come down, there's only a 30 second window that you have where you're going to be cognizant enough to make critical decisions. So in 30 seconds, if you don't have that mask on, that person beside you, that loved one, even that stranger, you are not going to have the the cognition to help that person. Now, in our journey, obviously, it's a bit more than 30 seconds. But if if we don't want to get, the way I look at it is we don't want to have things spiral out of the out of control so we're not in a position to help others so it is absolutely crucial that we do look after ourselves and i would argue that feeding ourselves well is a form of self care and self love absolutely especially i mean i know before we started recording we were having a kind of a little mini conversation on like how being in the food can be self abusive and just thinking about one of the stories um that you know, you follow and follow me. And the gentleman was saying like that he would get off work at midnight and come home and, and just start eating. And, he, and by three o'clock in the morning, he's like laying on the floor because he can no longer sit up because he's so uncomfortable and just waiting for space to be made in his stomach to start again, kind of yeah. deal. And it's like, that's so self-abusive when we're in that cycle. So if we start treating right. So the opposite of that, or, or, or self-love, mm -hmm. the self-love version of that would be feeding ourselves, just eat real food. Like you say, I mean, we're looking at the license plate sitting behind you, you know, and it says jerf <laughs> and, and yeah, so you should definitely, you know, you should definitely talk, speak to that piece of it because I think that plays a, a real role in um, this idea of I am priority and, you know, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the jerf. So that's um, I I can't even recall how it came about, but I just remember when it was mentioned at a workshop once. Uh, it was only in the last few years that I, I uh, that came up. Ironically, okay. Quick side note. Uh, I mean, the person that te so jerf. It's it stands for just eat real food. I mean, that's everything that I stand for because I I really feel that is the starting place in this is just focus on getting ultra processed food, get it, get it out of our lives. I, I personally feel it doesn't serve any purpose. Um, but for those of us that struggle with, with weight and health and food addiction, I really believe that's the, 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 the place to start just eating 
uh, a real food. And I, I know I come from a place of, of trying to, to simplify things. Uh, my MO uh, indicates that I, I'm a guy that tr- tries to take it in. And then how do I simplify it? And uh, hence the concept of just eating uh, real food. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I think people need to know, I try to put it out there on social media and I think Clarissa uses, I mean, it's, it's, it's out there for sure, but I mean, I think, you know, you embody that and, and it's just great. Thank you for sharing that. So, um, tell us how do our listeners find you? Ah, okay. Yes. Thank you. Uh, in terms of email, feel free to email me. It's uh, Tony at motonutrition.com. It's Tony at motonutrition.com. A few websites. Uh, I just recently put together a recipe blog. I, this is something that people have been asking me for, for years. And uh, it's a digital version of recipes and resources to, to help you jerf. But it is uh, justeatrealfood.ca justeatrealfood.ca, justeatrealfood.ca. And a website, I've recently put this one together. And again, this is where I really want to have an outlet for, for guys. So forgive me, I just find in in, in our circles um, and in, even in our little networking group in the, in the food addiction world, it, it is predominantly females. I have no idea why. Uh, so I, I, I do want to have, uh, there's a website I put together. It's called modafermen.ca, modafermen.ca. If you're a fellow out there, I mean, listen, I'm more than willing, I'm, we, you know, I'm not strictly guys. The program's geared towards uh men. Uh, but if you're a guy and you feel you'd prefer to be working uh, with another male or you want a male-oriented uh, a group support system, please reach out to me. Visit moda, modaformen.ca. I think you'll get a feel uh, for our style there. And by all means, listen, I am more than happy to, to set up a complimentary evaluation. I love having a discussion on learning more about uh, a person, their challenges, their objectives, their, their, their history. And uh, listen, and if I'm not, um, if I feel I'm not the person that can help you, I'll be the first to admit it. The uh, least I can do is point you in the right direction. But and again, if you're you're a guy looking for help, again, in, in a uh, guy-oriented environment, uh, please do re- reach out to me. Again, nothing. Um, uh, let's have a conversation. Follow me on social media. Yeah, that was great. I know I I had uh, a male client who was seeking some of that bromance, you know, that <laughs> that male connection. And so I reached out to you and you were like, oh yeah, just give him my email. He can come to a complimentary group. And I just love that, you know, that there is this resource out there because like you say, it really is predominantly a female world and uh, especially when it comes to professionals. So I am so glad to have you with us, Tony. Any, can I throw it around to any logic to why though? Can I bang my head? Like why it's predominantly, I mean, um, I mean, I, even in, in the, in the food addiction networking group that you recently was recently put together. Um, I, there's been, I think a couple of times, if not all, I was like the only, maybe not all the time, but I was either the only male or one other in a large group. But I just, uh, I don't know if there's any logic behind it. Are we guys afraid mm-hmm. to, or. I feel like it's similar in the therapist world though, too. I mean, social I, work a, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm a licensed mental health counselor and a licensed mm-hmm. addiction counselor here in Montana. And I feel like it's predominantly female and yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe just because we're, we're like, I don't know, again, not to like do the whole social cultural yeah. norms or whatever, but yeah. kind of like the caretakers, the whatever. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. I don't well, know. And it may be more open to talk about feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you need to be that sensitive soul male to be able to really feel comfortable in this world. And the men that I have been mm-hmm. fortunate enough to work with in mental health and addictions have been incredible. And there's just not enough of them. It's right. it's a true story for sure. Possibly we'll have to we'll delve into that further. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. that'd be a great conversation. <laughs> 
So Tony, we're going to ask you our signature question. If you could tell a younger version of yourself something about sugar and processed foods, what would it be? Yeah, so I, I, um, I mean, obviously it's not uh, physically possible, but I'd love to have a conversation or uh, embrace the uh, opportunity to have a conversation more so with the 27-year-old, Tony. So it was the 37-year-old that took on the journey. Uh, I was in a position of openness at that time. Uh, I think the Tony prior to 27, uh, 27 years of age, uh, not, not a stanch of, getting, of, of, of breaking through this goal. But what I'd like to tell to the 27-year-old is, is don't fight it. Don't fight it. The more you fight it, again, back to the analogy of into the ring, the more you fight it, the the, the harder it is. And maybe a part B uh, along the same lines is uh, be open. Be open. Take it in. Uh, avoid the resistance right right off the tap. And I do feel when I was 37, that's the position I was. Again, I, I wasn't totally arms open, you know, willing 100% acceptance surrender those open but um I, I really I mean listen we can't uh, we can't do anything about the past but and I guess it's one of the reasons why all of us do what we do is because we can't change our past but you know I, I mean when I first got into this my the area I wanted to really focus was working on younger males and I gotta admit it was like wow this this there, we you know there's sometimes a missile that ain't gonna penetrate um uh, up there and it's just they're, they're not ready um so you know you can only but uh anyways so executive summary don't over uh, don't fight it and be open yeah no it's so true i mean both molly and i work with clients and it's so important to meet them where they're at and and you're right i've worked with youth and addictions and they in their minds they've got their yeah. whole life ahead of them so it's yeah. it's just not that big yeah. a deal yet Right. That's so. it. And uh, exactly. I've, I've heard that so many times that yet. But but I think we all know that that, you know, that, the, the, you know, the 27 to 37, it's like, you know, what ha- I mean, it passes by quickly. Um, so I know I could smack little Clarissa with that yet that 15 year old like <laughs> you should have yet it by that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think, you know, and, and what you said was so lovely. And like you said, we can't go back and change the past, but, you know, I think this again, just stands to, you know, show why you do what you do, because you do meet people where they're at, even if they're earlier on this journey than some of our other clients, right. Who are kind of at that end stage they're um, like, there's just the treatment that they require is just so different kind of deal. Yeah. But the fact that you can prevent potentially, right. You can potentially, yeah. pre- potentially prevent, somebody from having a similar history as yours or, or a a harsher outcome kind of deal, right? Like you're trying to stop it in its tracks a lot earlier. And I think that's why it's so important for, for us to have that signature question and ask that, you know, that what would you go back and say? Because that's important. Like you said, be open, don't be so resistant, keep an open mind, stay curious. Absolutely. And across the board in wellness, if we, I mean, um, if we could only um, put more emphasis on prevention so we don't have to, you know, uh, be in a proactive versus a reactive state. I mean, it'd be a win-win-win across the board uh, for for us as individuals, the healthcare system and everything in between. So, and that's, you know, um, for, for this entire, I mean, those that you're interviewing and the whole concept of what you're doing here is, you know, I mean, we're, we're dealing with people who potentially we, we are preventing. I mean, we're, we're in some circumstances, it, it's uh, it's mitigating. But if we can get that message out there and um, uh, kudos, uh, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity of being here today. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And and and, and thank you for putting this to, together. I know it's a lot of work, but it's, uh, it's an excellent um, uh, way of getting the message out. 
Thank you for being here so much. It was our pleasure. It was my pleasure. I shouldn't speak for Clarissa. Yeah, but I know. <laughs> so. It was great, Tony. Thank you so much. And, and I'm excited to check out your recipe blog because yes. uh, there are some good stuff on there. I know for sure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar-Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.